Welcome to Textile Update, the podcast where we can share our passion for textiles, fibers, and yarns. This is Gwendolyn Hustvedt. In this last of three episodes about yarn, I'll be talking about fancy yarn. Finally, we've gotten to the fun. Oh, oh, spinning was fun all the time. Yes, Goddess Athena, we love spinning. Now that we've had a chance to think up pretty deeply about the different parts of a yarn, how yarns are made, right? Can start to picture spinning machines, Googling them, thinking about maybe buying them, trying it with our own hair, trying it with our kids' hair, right? We can talk about the major category of yarns that we call fancy yarns, uh, sometimes also called novelty yarns. I'll explain a bit in a much later podcast that word novelty actually has a special meaning. Of course it does. Novelty. Uh, even used in things like ice cream, right? A novelty. So uh, fancy yarn is different than, uh, is compared with a simple yarn. Simple yarns were alike in all their parts. Fancy yarns are unalike. Now, the this is a very common thing in textiles. We create these big categories and one category is very straightforward and then the other category is kind of a garbage can of everything that was left, right? So we had natural fibers, oh how easy. And then we had like everything else. Uh, we're gonna have uh, uh, the situation come up with weaving occasionally, right? Where we, we, we can really easily define one part of it and then the other one, eh, it's everything else. Right, so with fancy yarns, uh, we, we have some that follow a pretty predictable pattern, and then we'll talk about others like metallic yarns that are just like, well, is it even almost a yarn? The fancy yarns, unlike in their parts, don't, uh, may have a, a plies, and actually in most cases to make a fancy yarn, we're playing around with a ply. Uh, but an example would be if we made a yarn that had a strong core, so maybe a thin filament, and then we had the effect yarn, the one that was doing the fancy, right? That was being all curly cue, we're wrapping around itself. I don't know why I suddenly got a southern accent there. I think it's because I can't do a French accent, and this just feels like a French thing. Uh, I'm gonna have to say some French words in a minute. Ooh la la. And then the third might be a binder yarn that ties the effect yarn and the core yarn together. We can see when we look at manufactured yarns that they're irregular at regular intervals because the machine is repeating a series of motions. But originally when fancy yarns are designed, yes, there are yarn designers. Fancy yarns are designed, they would be genuinely irregular because a human being would actually be standing at a machine controlling pedals that control the twist on spindles for different plies and then twisting those plies together by hand. Right, so trying to design a specific type of yarn to use for their product. This is one way that luxury products can, should distinguish themselves from uh, lower priced products. So if you're buying something that was made from yarn that was produced in a region such as Italy or Peru, where they have a depth of respect for yarn manufacturing, then you could actually get a custom designed yarn for your product, which would mean that your product could be distinguished from any counterfeits by someone who looks closely at it and sees that it uses your special yarn designed just for you. 
When I was visiting Harriet Watt, which is a university in, uh, well, I was at the Textile School, which is not in uh, Edinburgh, that's where Harriet Watt is, but Galashiels, which is down in the Borders region of Scotland, I've taken students there. So I've been there three times now. And the first time I went, I saw a doctoral student who was working on her dissertation, and it involved designing yarns. So it was very exciting to look at. She, I mean, okay, she was standing there controlling petals and and chunks of fiber but if you love textiles it was very exciting to look at. We make fancy yarns because they are visually interesting. Also they can uh, improve resiliency so they can make garments that just seem to go a bit longer without needing to be cleaned because the bulky texture is, is warmer and, um, and uh, hides the wrinkles so it's great for coats and cloaks and things like that. And coincidentally, or not coincidentally, the sorts of things we might actually be willing to pay more for, right, outerwear that we might use for years. Of course, uh, fancy yarns don't have as good abrasion resistance because all those moving parts, all those, you know, cores and binders and things can get snagged on stuff. And also, we made them for their looks, not for their strength, right? So we didn't pay attention necessarily to getting a lot of cohesion, just enough to, to make them look beautiful. The first fancy yarn uh, of, of a set of two that I want to talk about are still basically simple yarns, but they're fancy now because we've added something to the simple yarn while we were spinning. So these are very uh, venerable and ancient types of uh, fancy yarns. The first one is called Tweed, and of course, Gala Shields in the border regions of Scotland where the textile school at Harriet Watt is situated. They're on the Gala Waters, but the Gala Waters are just a, a very short walk from the River Tweed. So when you stay at the dorms there at Harriet Watt, you can walk right over the River Tweed, Tweed on a bridge and get to uh, Sir Walter Scott's house, which is a great example of merchandise branding. Uh, Sir Walter Scott sure knew what he was doing when he created gorgeous Scottish mythology back in the day. And so Tweed has a fabric that's named after the region. And in the region, there are still spinning facilities that produce uh, yarns that are made. Uh, they do cashmere work there, for example. So we make Tweed by adding little noils, tufts of fiber, during the spinning. And uh, that could also be called flake or flock or seed if we don't want to mention Tweed. The reason that this type of yarn was developed in regions like uh, Scotland or Ireland is because they had some limitations when it comes to dye stuffs. When you live in a region that doesn't uh, isn't hospitable to a huge variety of plants, you might end up looking at what grows on the rocks, lichens and mosses to produce your dye. But of course you have to be very careful in harvesting those because they grow so slowly. You can produce really cool vivid colors, yellows and greens and reds and oranges and browns. And if you blend, if you, if you make just enough of the lichen-based dye to dye a small pot of fiber from a white sheep, and then you blend those with fiber from a brown sheep or a black sheep, you end up with really interesting looking yarns that are characteristic of your little region right there that nobody else can produce that you could charge a premium for and you've still respected the the limitation of nature well okay you didn't respect it you were forced to because there was no such thing as synthetic dye yet so that's why this type of of uh, yarn was developed right to to make a little bit of of dyed wool go a lot farther 
Now the slug yarn, uh, I like to think of it like a yarn swallowed a slug, right? So it's got a big bump in it, like a python with a mouse inside of it. And this is, of course, what happens with Dupani yarn, right? Uh, Dupani silk, I mean, it's got sort of thick and thin areas. But we could imitate it by actually twisting a little bit tighter and then a little looser and then a little tighter to create a little slug in the middle of the yarn where we were loose, right, then that becomes thicker and we twist it tight right on the other side to kind of create a little neck for this lump in the yarn. And we weave it in and we have lumps and bumps on the fabric that imitates the incredibly expensive Duponi. So antique satin, for example, would be a uh, not Duponi yarn <laughs> that was made to look like Duponi. Uh, so the definition of antique satin is that it uses slub yarns. And it's one of the few fabrics where we use the not technical face, right? Satin is smooth on one side and bumpier on the other. And so it's the bumpy side we're interested in when we make the antique satin. Now, the second big category of yarn is where we use uh, plies to make the design. And we have several in this category. Uh, the first is called a corkscrew. And so this is where we'd have a thick ply and a thin ply and we twist them together and it makes a spiral like a narwhal horn or a unicorn horn, right? So it literally looks like what it sounds like. We might have a filament of silk wrapped around a, a, a cotton or wool yarn and then that creates this uh, spiral thin line that goes through the thicker fluffier yarn. We can make something similar to a slub, but in this case, we're doing it with plying, and this is what I was seeing that student do. So she was over-twisting or crepe-twisting one ply and then quickly wrapping the other ply around the buckling knot that was formed to create a bump in the yarn, but it was plied, and this bump can be huge and very complex. So it's called, I would call it knot because we have that tangled knot, but it could also be called spot or nub or knop even as an older word. And this is what happens when we ply and over twist one ply. To get even fancier, we can make something called boucle, which is French for curl. So if I'm buying curly haired shampoo, I have curly hair by the way. If I'm buying curly haired shampoo and it's labeled in French, it will say boucle on it. The curls, uh, we would basically uh, make one ply, make kind of loop to loop uh, curls, right? So it's curling back on itself and then we wrap the other ply around it. So we're not twisting it like in a crepe twist, but we are kind of twisting it back on itself to form a little loop. You want to look at this online, but boucle, it's like a loop-to-loop -loop in the yarn. To distinguish it from ratine, which would, what would be happen if like you ratted your hair, right? Uh, ratine is where we actually take the one ply and pull it down the other ply like we're ratting it and then we twist the ply and then we pull the next one down and we create sort of an s shaped so that the loops curl out of either side not the loop to loop but kind of bunched s shapes that go bulging out of either side of the the ply twist so that's ratine so we had spiral corkscrew not boucle or ratine were all examples of yarns that were made by messing with the ply. And then there's others that just a designer designed for your company that's somehow not either one of those and uh, is special just for you. The last two yarns that I want to talk about uh, are made in a totally different way, but they're in the fancy category because, whoa, they are kind of fancy. The first one are metallic yarns. Um, in the ancient days, 
Metallic yarns were made by hammering metal into leaf and then wrapping the leaf around a yarn. I was at the Smithsonian Museum one year and they had an exhibit of textiles from the Ottoman Empire. And they explained that you really had to use your imagination with these textiles. Virtual reality would have been cool, right? Augmented reality. Because the silver that the fabric was made with had tarnished and there was no easy way to polish that silver again. Uh, even, even doing some kind of electroplating would have damaged the underlying textile. So it's just going to be kind of dull looking and you have to imagine how shiny it was originally. Right? And we could do the same sort of thing with gold. So we would take leaf, wrap it around a yarn, then weave with the yarn. We're always worried about little chunks of metal falling off. It's a very delicate process. But to make metallic yarns now, we go in the opposite direction. We actually take the thin film of, uh, uh, you know, a polymer, right, that's clear like nylon. We lay a layer of metallic leaf on top of it and then another film. And we heat it so that they, it basically all kind of melts together. And then we slice it with rollers into really thin strips. So the problem with this particular type of metallic yarn is that those sliced edges are actually sharp. The metal sharp, the nylon, for example, it's sharp, right? And so when you weave it into other fabric, it is going to cut into that other fabric over time. So there will always be a durability concern right, with materials that are made using metallic yarns. And then lastly, we have chenille yarns, which are the yarn that's made using a weaving method. The Lena weave method, uh, which we'll learn about later, but the Lena weave method is used to make these chenille yarns, which are um, kind of big, thick, caterpillar-looking yarns. Uh, we use it to make, uh, it's basically pile in a yarn. Pile is what we call like um, uh, fluff, right? Like velvet has pile or carpet has a pile. And so we have pile that's in the yarn. And so then when we knit or weave with it, then we have like, and if we make a pile fabric like a carpeting with it, then we've got like pile times two, right? So this is where we want a lot of loose fibers flying around. It's going to pill like crazy. We're going to have a ton of lint, right? We're, uh, you'll end up, if you wear a chenille sweater, right? You'll have little tiny pieces of whatever color it was all over your underwear or sticking to your chest hairs, right? But, um, but boy, was it soft and luxurious with the pile-based yarns. So that's an example of a fancy yarn that doesn't use plies or anything else, right? It, it actually uses a weaving method. There's so much more to say about yarns, but I just wanted to give you the basic introductions so that we can move on to fabrication, weaving, knitting, right? And you would understand the material that we're using. Of course, sewing, sewing thread involves Right? The sewing thread is a, is a type of yarn. It's a very small yarn, but uh, it's, it, well, actually, it's bigger than yarn we would use for weaving, but it's smaller than the yarn we'd use for knitting. All right, well, that's it for yarns. Mm -hmm.